Well, almost always, uh, when we are here on Sunday for corporate worship, this pulpit will be filled by a sojourn pastor as we see it as the biblical pattern for the primary leading, caring, feeding of the church to come from a plurality of, of qualified men who have been set aside for uh, the office of pastor. Uh, but in the task of making disciples of all nations, which is the task of the church, there are, are times where it is important for us to use these opportunities to help train and develop uh, more, to continue to carry that mission on out, not just here in Enid, but everywhere as well. And so that's what's happening this morning. Shelby Maddox will be preaching. He's been on staff with us for about a year, I believe, close to that. And we'll be hearing him preach this morning. And we look forward with just anticipation of the preaching of God's Word. So uh, you can open your Bibles as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning. Our scripture this morning is Psalms 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. As Dylan mentioned, my name is Shelby Maddox. Um, what a privilege it is to... Um, be here with you all to gather and to open God's word. I uh, am thankful that he gave that introduction so that it's, uh, I don't have to do the normal thing that most people do. I'm going to do it anyways. I'm not, if you're a first time guest, I'm not the regular preacher. Um, so come back next week. But my prayer is that um, you won't even think about me. Uh, that you will, the thing that we have in common, whenever Dylan is up here, Ryan, Jim, Jay, John, um, we're preaching from this. So my prayer is that we will together come away with a better knowledge of God's word. So uh, will you pray with me one more time as we begin? Father, to you, O Lord, we lift up our souls. O my God, in you we trust let us not be put to shame. Let not our enemies exalt over us. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who wanton, wondrously treacherous. Make known to us 
your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us. For you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of our youth or our transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember us for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Since being a father, there have been a lot of things that I've learned about kids. Um, I've learned that they have an incredibly great memory. Um, my oldest, Cooper, um, it was about a few months ago, or it was last year, we went to this farm uh, whenever he was about two years old, he's four now, but he was just talking one day, he said, hey, Dad, remember that farm that we went to with Nana and Papa, the one that like, I was almost bucked off the horse, and you remember that farm? And like, he, was a, he was a baby whenever that happened, and I was just like, yes, I remember that. I didn't know that you remember that. Um, I, I learned they have a great memory. Uh, I've learned that they're incredibly forgiving. Whenever I storm into their room and I'm just like barking these orders, being an absolute jerk, or like I'm the one that disciplined them, they're like, they come to me like, okay, like console me. And they're just like, whenever I go to ask them for forgiveness, it's kind of like, yeah, of course I forgive you. I love you, Dad. Like, of course I forgive you. Um, and then there's something else that I've learned from kids, um, from children, is that they are aware of their need for help. And there's, there's one thing that really accentuates this need for help, and that's fear. Ed Welch, he is a biblical counselor, uh, he writes this, even if children live in an unassailable fortress, protected round the clock by loyalists who ward off all robbers, ghosts, and monsters, with loved ones within calling distance, video cameras and alarms always perpetually set, night lights on before dusk, shielded from Stephen King, Walt Disney, and Saturday morning cartoons. I don't know what kind of cartoons they're watching, but um, whatever. Uh, they will guaranteed be afraid. Somehow, without anyone telling them, they know that they live in a world that isn't safe. Children. Children know that this world isn't safe. When they're afraid, they know that they need help. And we're a lot like children, aren't we? When fear comes, we recognize we're vulnerable. Whenever something comes up, we, we recognize that this world isn't safe. Whenever the monsters come into our life, we know that we're not, we're not safe. We're vulnerable. We're defenseless. We recognize, I need help. We are children in times of fear. And our God knows that. We've learned uh, through the Psalms that whatever the situa human situation, there's a psalm for that. Uh, Tim Keller, he, he said this about the Psalms. Whenever you're in a time of stress, you should go to the Psalms. They have a medicine for everything. They depict every situation that a human being can be in, and they've addressed every, every emotion you could ever have. They also tell you how to process that emotion or about that situation before God. And yeah, we've learned that for every human situation, there's a psalm for that, and Psalm 46 is no different. 
Psalm 46 is a psalm for us for when we are afraid. God gave us Psalm 46 to tell us this, that no matter the circumstance, God is our help and God is with us. No matter the circumstance, God is our help and God is with us. We're not given the exact context of Psalm 46. We have that subscription that is inspired. It says, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. So we know that it was written by the sons of Korah. Um, if you want to look this up later in your Bibles, it's First Chronicles 15. They were song leaders, song leaders in Israel. Um, and this is... Psalm 46 is tucked in the section of the Psalms that are attributed to the sons of Korah, and that's Psalms 42 to 49. And in those Psalms, there's this movement from Psalm 42. Um, they're, they're writing, they're just saying like, Lord, we are a taunt to our nations. They look at us and they make fun of us. Like, where are you? Like, what are you doing? And then it moves to Psalm 49 on this end of the spectrum to like, Lord, the king is in Israel. We are so rejoicing like, we, we praise you. And then Psalm 46 is kind of tucked right in the middle of that progression, that movement from absolute fear to absolute rejoicing. Um, that, and we see that the, in, the, in that subscription that the Psalms, they are a song book. It says, uh, according to Alamoth, it says it's a song. It's the song book of God's people. And this psalm is... It, seems to certainly fit into the mold of a song. It seems like it's broken down into three verses, if you will, and it's broken up by that mysterious word, Selah. Um, and I kind of broke it down. I'm a, I'm a song guy. So if, if you want to write this down, uh, verses one to three, I kind of, this is the, the verse title is uh, Sorrows Like Sea Billows Roll. And then verses four to seven, peace like a river. And then verses 8 to 11, fears are stilled and striving cease. So, one more time. Verses 1 to 3, sorrows like sea billows roll. Verses 4 to 7, peace like a river. And then verses 8 to 11, fears are stilled, strivings cease. And so in verse 1, it says God is our refuge and strength. Very present help in trouble. You, you might have uh, heard the, um, it's something that you learn like a speech class, I think, but it's, um, you put an emphasis on each different word of a sentence. I didn't say I took his money. I didn't say I took his money. I didn't say I took his money. And you just, and it adds a different meaning to each, like every time you put an emphasis on a word, it adds a different meaning. And I want to do that with this psalm, and I just want to focus on two things in this, um, that God is our refuge and strength. That's the first thing we're going to focus on in this verse. And then God is our refuge and strength. So God is our refuge and strength. I can't help but put the emphasis on that. Uh, because you think back into the context in which it was written, in which this psalm was written. Um, the king had just been brought to uh, Jerusalem, to the city of God, David, like, it looks like everything's being restored. Like, Saul, he's gone. David is in. Like, we got our guy. Like, we are, like, bring out the trumpets. We are celebrating. This is huge. 
Um, our enemies are being defeated. And you consider that temptation to look to what is it? You, you look to your city walls. You, you're in Jerusalem. Like, we are mighty now. Those nations that used to taunt us, that used to make fun of us, like, what now? What are you going to say now? We got our guy. We got our king. Uh, speaking of king, I'm going to put all my trust in that king because, man, we, we asked the Lord for a king so that we could be like the nations, and, man, God answered, and here he is. The temptation for the people of God was to put their trust into their city walls, to put their trust into King David. And so what this psalm is doing, it is taking the legs out from that idea that anybody, any person, any physical place is your refuge and strength. No, it is, it's God. God is your refuge and strength, Israel. Not your city walls, not King David, definitely not your military record, but God. God is your refuge and strength. And how easy is it for us to be just like Israel? Maybe it's, I want to say, it's definitely not looking to our city walls for protection because we don't have walls. Uh, it's, but maybe it's uh, looking to your, your home, your house. Like, it brings us a source of, like, protection, right? Maybe it's looking to your reputation, the people around you. You look to other people to give you uh, reprieve, to give you refuge, to give you strength. What they say about you either builds you up com completely or tears you down miserably. Uh, maybe it's an election year. It's 2024. Lord help us. Uh, what happens when your candidate wins? Is, is it really easy to have this temptation to be like, okay, our guy or girl, our guy or girl won. Like, that is my refuge. That is my strength. What if that candidate loses? Okay, absolute despair. I, I, what are we going to do? Psalm 46 is here for us to say, hey, take a deep breath. God is your refuge in strength. When I put my boys down for bed, and this literally happened last night, um, it, it doesn't happen as often uh, anymore, but it used to just be like every single night. Um, they would, sometimes they just don't want to go to bed. Y'all know, you know the drill. They don't want to go to sleep, and so they say like, I'm scared. Well, no, I'm, I'm hungry. No, I'm, I'm, but there are actual nights when they're afraid. They are scared that something is going to get them. They're afraid of the dark. They're afraid of, like, they read a book about this terrifying dentist that is just, like, going to rip their teeth out or something, and they cannot. Like, I'd be terrified, too. And so they, they what do they do? They, they call out. They cry out for their, for their mom or their dad to come in. And what are they, like, what calms their fears more than anything? It's whenever... We, we say to them, it's okay. Dad is here. It's okay. Like, you have, you have a very present help in trouble. Uh, Christian, when it feels like monsters are going to get you, 
When you feel unsafe, when you are afraid, verse 1 is for you. Verse 1 is, is whenever you, you're afraid. You're afraid that those monsters are going to get you, and you cry out to your Father. Isn't this what the Lord Jesus, like, when he taught us to pray? He, he, didn't, he didn't say, like, O oh Lord, who art in heaven. He didn't say, O oh sovereign one who sits on the throne, who art in heaven. He said, Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven. We are his children. We can go to him whenever we are afraid. And the comfort that I, I provide my, my children, I'm not, I'm not the very present help in trouble. The comfort I provide my boys as their dad is like this foggy old mirror. It's this tainted reflection of the real thing. Especially whenever I come in and I'm, I'm frustrated with them and I come barging in, I'm like, why aren't you asleep yet? I'm like, go to sleep. Uh, that's not, it's not like that with our Lord. He says, come to me. Come to me. I'll give you rest. Uh, there's, I've been quoting this for the last few weeks now, um, The Valley of Vision. It is a collection of old prayers, and there's one that's titled Refuge. And it says this, O Lord, whose power is infinite and wisdom is unfallible, Order things that they may neither hinder nor discourage me, nor prove obstacles to the progress of thy cause. Stand between me and all strife, that no evil befall, no sin corrupt my gifts, zeal attainments. Let me dwell in thy most secret place under thy shadow, where is safe, impenetrable protection from the arrow that flieth by day, the pestilence that walketh in the darkness, the strife of tongues, the malice of ill will, the hurt of unkind talk, the snares of company, the perils of youth, the temptations of middle life, the mornings of old age, the fear of death. Strengthen me by thy spirit in my inner self for every purpose of my Christian life. Amen. With God as our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. Christian, that prayer, you can pray that to your father. That is the kind of refuge that he provides. That is the kind of protection that our God gives us. <clears throat> we pray that as children. And so the Bible puts the emphasis, em, the emphasis that I put on, God is our refuge and strength. I want to focus on the second part. God is our refuge and strength. Uh, the Bible puts an emphasis on the personal um, walk in the Christian life, the uh, path of sanctification. Like, the Bible is clear that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling as individual Christians, but the Bible does not promote a lone ranger kind of Christianity. Here in this psalm, it says, God is our refuge and strength. And then in verse 2, it says, therefore, we will not fear. I have a, we have um, some friends who are going through an incredibly rough time right now. They are in a country that is not their home. They're um, being beaten down with sickness, um, attacks of the enemy. 
really, really hard situation, and a phrase that he keeps saying is, uh, thank you for holding the rope. Uh, that, that phrase, it, it's, it's as if he, he is saying, hey, you other Christians, I'm going down into this mine, like trying to do good work at the gospel and shine light in darkness. I need you all up at the top holding the rope because if you don't, I'm, I'm sunk. I need you to hold that rope. Christian, that is a picture of what we do as a church. We hold the rope for each other. When people are down in the mine, they're afraid. Whenever they are uh, in a situation where the earth gives ways, we're going to see in verse 2, the call for us is to hold the rope for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we do that, we can find refuge and strength for our souls even when the earth gives way. Look in verses 2 and 3. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Notice the repetition of these verses. It's uh, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved, though the wa- its waters, though the mountains tremble. The author is communicating something to uh, the original readers and communic- communicating something to us. Um, we saw in this title that the psalm was written by the sons of Korah. So when the Israelites read that title, when the Israelites read this verse, their minds definitely went to, okay, like, we don't know who the sons are specifically, maybe. You can read First Chronicles 15, there's some, a list of names. But we know who Korah is. I remember that name in the, in the history of Scripture. Uh, it recalls the instance of Korah's rebellion. Whenever Korah uh, was, took an issue with Moses and Aaron and says, hey, you all are getting like special treatment. Um, that's not good. We're going to like break apart from you and call you out. And um, Moses intercedes for Korah and the congregation that he uh, developed to go before him. He's like, Lord, like, do not hold it against uh, these people. Like, I am your chosen servant. Help him to know that. And uh, this is what happens in Numbers chapter 16, verses 31 to 33. And as soon as he finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished in the midst of the assembly." How is that for a family story? How is that to be remembered by? (laughs) So we see in verse 2, though the earth gives way, we see the sons of Korah in the title. So their minds would have went to that, but then also their minds would have went to another place, maybe a more familiar place for us, and that is Genesis chapter 6. The story of the flood, whenever God uncreated the world, Whenever he looked down and he saw the wickedness of humanity, he says, that's it, I'm, I'm going to destroy them. Everything that has the breath of life, I'm going to destroy them with a flood. Everything that I've created, I'm going to uncreate, and waters are going to cover the face of the earth. And even in this circumstance, notice what the charge is. Therefore, we will not fear. That was the charge to them, And that is a charge for us today. 
Uh, living in Oklahoma, the, the closest thing that resembles verses two and three, you think about, we had some earthquakes, you know, they're pretty frequent uh, about a decade ago, but uh, what is common phenomenon in Oklahoma? You think about whenever a tornado warning is issued, and they say it's like an F3 tornado, um, and maybe you're like, you're not one of the crazies who like say like, all right, I'm hopping in my pickup and I'm gonna go chase this bad boy, uh, but you like, you're terrified. I'm terrified of tornadoes. Like, good, how can you not be? It's like a swirling wind that can just destroy anything in its path. Terrifying. Um, whenever that tornado warning is issued, what can you do? You can do nothing. You can, you can get, and you can, you know, put up the mattresses. You can get in the most central part of your house, do all the, all the things that David Payne tells you to do. Uh, but you cannot stop that tornado. It is coming, and it is going to wreak havoc. It is going to destroy anything in its path. You know that feeling. And maybe the circumstance isn't a worldwide flood, uh, or it's, it's not a, an F5 tornado in your life. Uh, but you feel, you feel small. You feel helpless nonetheless. Maybe the circumstance of your life is uh, sadness from infertility. That's so painful. You can feel, you, it's pain so deep, you feel like your bones are about to break. It's the certainty of a life of loneliness. Maybe it's not a tornado. Maybe it's the fearful dread of death. M mourning the death of a husband, of a wife, of a parent, of a child. Maybe it's pain. Your circumstance, it's not a worldwide flood, but it's a circumstance from living in a broken and scary, sinful world where floods, tornadoes, death, and loneliness are all realities. And yet, verse 2 says, we will not fear. Maybe you're here this morning and you have no idea how such felt pain and father-promised protection can coexist. Instead of identifying with Psalm 46, 1, you identify with Psalm 44, verse 23. It says, awake. If you're sleeping, you're awake now. <laughs> Sorry. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Don't reject us forever. Why do you hide your face, Lord? Why do you forget our affliction and our oppression? Maybe that describes you. And these, these verses recall the story of the flood in Genesis 6. And embedded in that story of Genesis, Genesis 6 is the key to unlock the kind of trust, the kind of resolve found in verses 2 and 3. When God graciously chose to save Noah and his family, he tells them that they will be saved from the waters by building this ark of wood. When the earth gave way, Noah and his family didn't... They might have feared, but they trusted. They trusted the Lord. When the mountains were moved into the heart of the sea, they trusted the Lord. When the waters were roaring and foaming, verse 2 and 3, they did not fear because the Lord had provided. They didn't fear because they knew that the Lord, had, had, the Lord who had brought the flood is the same Lord who's going to bring them out of the flood. They had their eyes on the Lord and they were trusting him. 
And if you're in the middle, friend, of a Psalm 44, 23 season, where are you, Lord? Don't you care about my afflictions? You're not alone. Jesus' Jesus's disciples had uh, the same questions. And we read about it in Mark chapter 4. Starting in verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And when they awoke him, they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? When the pain of loneliness crashes into your banks, feeling you, feel, leaving you reeling, when death takes your husband, when death takes your wife, your source of temporal protection, and everything around you and within you is saying, you better fear. How do we not? Again, we think back to Noah. God provided, during, uh, whenever he sent his floodwaters, he sent his wrath through the floodwaters, he provided to Noah and his family a wooden boat. And Noah and his family, they clung to that boat. For us, today, there is a different piece of wood that we cling to. Through the gospel, the same Lord who tells us to look to the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, who bore our sins in his body on a tree, saving us from the flood of his wrath, and he's calling us to trust him. And he gives us promises whenever we do that. After the earth had been baptized in death, he promised to Noah and humanity to never again destroy the earth. Amen. And he promises in Romans 6 that as we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And his promise to us now isn't just that he will never again destroy the earth, and it isn't only that we might be like Christ walking in the newness of life, but also he is with us. The Lord Jesus promised this. He promised this whenever he sent his disciples out into all nations saying, like, remember, I am with you to the end of the age. He promised sending his Holy Spirit who now helps us in our weakness, who intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray, who when we're afraid, he ministers to us and he reminds us of the love of God through Christ which is immune to death. Are you here this morning and you're just unsure if that describes you? You're lacking the assurance that you've been made new through Christ and that God is with you. The hope for you and the hope for me is that God is faithful to his promises. Isaiah 53 tells us of the suffering servant that was promised, who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. 
And upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, in the book of Romans, chapter five, says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, the promise for you this morning is God justifies sinners. God justifies sinners who place their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And in that, there is another promise. God's presence brings us peace. Look in verse four. Talks about this river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns and the nations rage. The kingdom's taught her. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, uh, these verses, I don't know about you, but they're, they're initially confusing. Uh, each verse, for sure, it's incredibly edifying. Uh, they're full of po promise. They're, they're poetic. They're painting this picture. But when we look at that picture, it, it takes some time to chew on it and understand, like, what is being said. Um, but, okay, what's the significance of a river? Um, okay, well, can, what is that? Uh, we learned a few months ago that uh, in Psalm one, 122 that uh, the city of God is Jerusalem, um, so, okay, there's a river in, in Jerusalem. It's all kind of fuzzy. The only verse that seems like lock, stock, and bar barrel is verse 7, right? The Lord of hosts is with us. We're like, I understand that. I'm clinging to that. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I know that. I can understand that. You don't have to explain that to me. Um, and in my preparation, commentators, they, they all seem to agree that there's, there is some mystery here. In verse 7, uh, when the original audience, whenever they read this, it seems that a glad-making river likely would have sent them asking some questions as well. Uh, maybe, maybe their mind went to Psalm 1. Maybe they like, wanted to be like that tree that's planted by the river, always bearing fruit in its season. Uh, they want to be people who like, love the law of the Lord. They don't make their way with uh, sinners, scoffers, and sinners. Um, whichever one it is. Uh, maybe, maybe that was it. Um, maybe your mind goes to John, the Gospel of John, whenever Jesus offers uh, that soul-satisfying water in uh, John chapter 4, verse 10. That might be it. Uh, the river is certainly a contrast to the, like the absolute like tsunami in verses 2 and 3. So there's this calmness about a river um, but we're, we're left, what's going on? I think a more likely reading, and a more specific reading, is an eschatological one. That is, that means, a reading on what is to come. Notice what verse 4 says. It says, the holy habitation of the Most High. This is where God is. This is where God will be. There's, there is no river running through the present-day Jerusalem. But there is a river in another Jerusalem. God isn't in the midst of Jerusalem now, but there is coming a day when the dwelling place of God will be with man. A day when our eyes will see the new heavenly Jerusalem, the holy city that John, John talked about in Revelation chapter 21. When that city, it comes down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, 
And in the middle of that city, you know what there will be? There will be a river. Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 4. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, a tree with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You know, that's, okay. You know what that's saying? One of my favorite songs. It says, there is a river we will know, ever clear and ever full. And when we drink it, we will find that this joy, it is ever full. And it will ever rise in the light of the kingdom. This joy that we have. Being with God, drinking from that river, our joy we will be with him. Our joy will be ever full and it will rise for eternity. Christian, because God has revealed himself through 66 books of scripture, we don't have to speculate at the meaning of these verses. We're reminded that the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, the Lord of the heavenly hosts, as we learned in Psalm 19, he is with us. Amen. And he is our fortress. And there is a coming day when our longing for him will be realized. When we see him face to face, we will say, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And there's another promise that will be fulfilled in that day. We read it in verses 6 and 7. That nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. These nations resembling Psalm 2 nations that are raging and peoples that are plotting in vain to break away from the Lord. Uh, my mind goes to uh, a sojourn favorite, a mighty fortress. Um, okay, I got to be real with y'all. Um, we don't sing the entire song. We cut off half of verse 3. There's, there's so much. There, in verse 4, this is for free. In verse 4 it says, uh, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. We sing that. But in verse three, before we, like, we break off and we, like, everybody just goes crazy and we sing, like, yeah, whenever we go crazy, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, right after that, the verse continues and it says, uh, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. Uh, his rage we can endure for, lo, his doom is sure. And then this right here, he says, one little word shall fell him. When the Lord rises to judge the earth, whenever verse six is a reality, the same word that made the world melt it. Jim Hamilton puts it like this. God's vowels, consonants, syllables, lexemes, phrases, syntactical constructions, uh, and sentences cause things like protons and neutrons to form atoms, atoms to form molecules, and on the power of God's almighty utterance, the verse and universe spring into being. And the same utterance that caused them to congeal will cause them to dissolve. When the sky falls and the sun explodes and the earth melts, the safe place will be by the one 
had by the people of God who confess in Psalm 46, 7, that Yahweh is with them. Friend, that day will be one of absolute joy and glory, but it's going to be a day that is full of dread and wrath. Do you have confidence now to face that coming day? Because the the truth is, you have a soul that will never die. Christian, notice what this psalm doesn't say. It doesn't say, uh, I won't fear because you've removed the roaring waters of my life. Martin Luther didn't write, uh, this world was filled with devils, so I'm good now. No, it says, even though this world is full with devils. It says, though the earth, though the earth gives way, the earth is giving way, though the mountains be moved into the hardest, heart of the sea, we will not fear because the Lord of hosts is with us. God is our refuge and strength, Amen. sojourn. Our very present help in trouble. So we're told to not fear because God, our refuge and strength, is with us. But we're also told to do something else. Look in verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters a spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come. Behold. Look. Be still and and know. The call to behold, the call to know, to remember, it's a biblical imperative. It's a, it is a command throughout Scripture. Something that we must do. In Psalm 42, 6, it says, Hope in God, for, again, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. And, and my God, my soul is cast down within, within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mezer. From, in, in Psalm 77, what brings Asaph from absolutely questioning God, like Psalm 40, uh, 44, to absolute trusting in God, he, he says, but I will appeal to this. I will appeal to the right hand of the Most High. I will remember your works of old. Uh, it's not just in the Psalms. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul exhorts the Christian Ephesians to remember that at, at one time they were separated from Christ, but now have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The call to remember isn't foreign to the Christian faith, regardless of how foreign it might be to us. Notice what Psalm 46 invites them to behold. He brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease. The earth that you fear, the nations that you fear, these these things that are on the fore of their mind that they are constantly fearing. He addressed the natural disaster from verses two and three. He addressed the armies of the nations, the ever-present threat who could rain down arrows on their homes, who could invade the city walls and burn their temples and homes. 
And the command isn't here, okay, you better assemble your troops, pull yourselves out your, by your bootstraps and get ready for battle, like, because war is about to happen. The command here is, behold. Look at what your God has done. The mountains that you fear, the ocean that is so terrifying, brings them to desolations. The enemies that are surrounding you, he thwarts their battle plans. He ruins their wartime equipment. Why, why is this a command in Scripture? To just know. To just behold. Why is remembering and knowing uh, something foundational to God's people? Uh, second week in a row we're doing this. Dylan, you're, you got something uh, right. Deuteronomy is our favorite book. Deuteronomy is the favorite book of Sojourn. Um, did a great job uh, putting that into our souls, Dylan. Thanks so much. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, very meaningful uh, chapter for me and my family. Uh, in verse 1, he says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go into and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you. And he let you hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's why we, we remember. The call to remembrance, the call to behold, in verse 8, is for these people to remember that God is God, and they are not. And the same is true for us. But on this side of the cross, what we get to remember, we remember that God is God. We get to remember something even more glorious than what the Israelites were able to remember. We remember that the curse of death that the whole earth has given way to, the Lord Jesus have overcome through his death and resurrection. We remember that the enemies of God, they've been defeated. When Satan bruised the heel of our Lord, he responded in victory by crushing his head. The resurrection of Christ is a guarantee that God will triumph over his enemies. The call to stop. The call to know. The call to remember, to meditate. It's an often overlooked aspect of the Christian life. And I don't know why, but I think uh, it's overlooked because it can't be seen. It doesn't, it's something that doesn't have any tangible effect. And it doesn't feel like we are doing anything. But <clears throat> remembering rich Christian doctrines, when we remember that God is God and we are not, when we remember the works of the Lord, what he has done through Christ, that leads to a childlike trust in us. We trust him when the waters come. And then whenever we trust, it results in Christ's exalting worship. So we're called to just behold. We're told to just be still. Uh, we are a, uh, this is not unique to sojourn, but we're a busy bunch of people. 
We are a busy church. Again, not unique to Sojourn. It's, we're often, we're busy with good things. But our calendars are, the phrase that everybody likes to use, um, crazy busy. Our calendars are just so crammed full. And the temptation with the busyness with good things is that we don't have time to sit. We don't have time to be still. We don't have time to behold the works of the Lord. And what might happen in that is through our busyness, the constant going, we can drift into thinking that all of our tasks, all of our events, and all of life, they depend on us. We wouldn't admit it out loud, but we think like, well, if I'm not at this, or if I'm not here for that, then it will lead to failure because all of that depends on me. Again, we wouldn't say it out loud, but we tend to think that we are God. We tend to think that we are all present, that we can be all places at once. And what this psalm in God's grace is telling us is stop. Know that I am God. Amen. The temptation is we can turn verse 10 from be still and know that I am God to keep yourself busy because you think that you're God. And in that thinking, we can forget to remember that the Lord is with us. You remember the, the story of uh, Martha and Mary? Luke tells us of this account in chapter 10 of his gospel. It says in verse 38, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered the village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. A good thing. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. His response to Martha is the same response to his disciples. Whenever those waters were raging, he said, peace, be still. Why are you troubled? I am with you. Mary chose the good portion. Mary was still and she knew that it was the Lord with her. And so she sat at his feet and simply listened. What does it look like for you to sit at the feet of Jesus and to just simply listen? Is there a time in your schedule for you to be still and to know that he is God? Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he said this, I'm persuaded that most of us think too much of speech and action, which after all is but the shell of a thought. Quiet contemplation Still worship, unuttered rapture, these are mine when my best jewels are before me. Brethren, rob not your heart of deep sea joys. Miss not the far down life by forever, forever babbling among the broken shells and foaming surges of the shore. Whether we will be still ourselves whether we will calm our, busy, our busyness, there's another promise. Look in verse 10 again. 
be still and know that I am God, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And this is just another summary of the fears of these people among the nations and in the earth. The circumstance that evoked the fears throughout the psalm, the Lord promises he will be exalted over. So what's your fear? Is it sadness? Being alone? Is it death? Mourning a husband, wife, parent, child? Friend, the Lord will be exalted over that fear. We started in verse 1 with this astounding combination that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And Christian, God is with you now, and we will be with him forever in the new Jerusalem. We read this in Revelation 21. We anticipate this day. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea that you feared, it's no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Christian, God is with you. God is your help. The Lord who is over the flood and rules the nations is the Lord who promises he is with us. He is with us. He is our refuge and our strength. He is our help right now. He is our helper amidst the flood. And there's coming a day when we will be with him, when death will be no more. And as we anticipate that day, we rejoice that he is our mighty fortress, that he is with us. Let's pray together. Father, you are God, and we are not. And we constantly forget that in our activities and rush and everything that we think is pressing. We forget who you are, and we think that this life is about us and our name, and our story, and what we accomplish and leave behind. And that is not the case, God. We will be forgotten, and what we do for your name and your glory is what lasts forever. So will you keep our eyes on you and live every second of our lives as if your thoughts And what you see and what you desire is what matters most. Protect us from living in the fear of other people and other powers. And let us trust you, Jesus. Thank you for being our king and our refuge. Thank you for rescuing us from hell and death and sin and shame and all of those things that can truly 
destroy our souls. Other people can't do that, God, but you can. And so I pray for everyone in this place, Lord, that we would lay our lives at your feet and that we would put our trust wholly in you for salvation through faith in your death and resurrection, but also every day that we walk, Lord, that we would put our trust in you and find our refuge and our safety in you and in you alone. Guard our hearts, Lord, and give us peace. In your name I pray, amen.